Well, I'm honored and humbled by the invitation to participate in this very important service. Having known Merle longer than either he or I wish to admit, I have long been of the opinion that, um, that he should be a pastor in Christ's church. So I'm pleased that um, that day has arrived and that I have been invited to have a role in seeing that happen. And I trust that all of you who are members of this church, that you're even more excited than I am the installation of a truly qualified man into the pastoral office is a wonderfully significant event for the church where that occurs. It's an objective demonstration that the living Christ himself is among you and he's blessing you. Churches and seminaries may prepare men for the work of ministry, but it's only the living Christ who makes ministers, who makes men qualified to be ministers. That's the work of Christ, and seeing him raise up another pastor is an evidence that he is with you and that he has good intentions for you. Ephesians 4 teaches us that it is the ascended Christ who gives pastor teachers. But the gift of an additional pastor says more than that Christ is with you. It is an indication of his keeping work. He's making you more safe. He's giving you another spirit-equipped man to watch for your souls. He's giving another spirit-taught man to instruct you in mind and heart in the Word of God so that your faith might grow, so that you might become more useful. He's giving another man trained in holiness to help protect you as a church, to protect you from being corrupted by false doctrine or wrong practice. Moreover, the gift of such a man will better equip you to carry out your supreme responsibility as a church You ought to think of yourselves as the army of the Lord. And Christ is giving another officer to lead you into battle because your highest responsibility is to attack the gates of hell and to rescue captives by the gospel. To take the gospel into all the world and particularly among those people's groups that have never heard. Another pastor can help organize you for that purpose. So this service is very significant for you as the people of God. It's also very significant for Merle and for Libby 
In some respects, it's a life-altering event for them. Merle, you were, as you well know, entering upon responsibilities and challenges of the very highest order. You will probably find yourself yourself humbled in new ways. You will find yourself often crying out, O Lord, who is sufficient for these things? And Libby, you may find yourself pressed to new dimensions of intercessory prayer, pleading that the implications of ministry will not crush your husband. Now, I know that may not sound very encouraging, but you need not be afraid because the new challenges that you are embracing this day will be more than offset by new and deeper experiences of the living Christ. It's Christ who has called you. You're serving Christ He will make sure that you have everything you need to do the job and to do it well. Well, those thoughts bring us to the text for the morning. It's one simple verse found in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So please open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2. And I want us to look simply at verse 1, 2 Timothy 2, 1. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. You, therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to draw three observations based upon this verse. I don't want you to panic. Almost all of our time will be given to the first observation. If you're thinking three like this, we'll be here till dinner. Well, there's one long one and two rather short ones. The first observation is this. Gospel ministers must have strength from outside themselves, even supernatural strength. Gospel ministers must be helped by a strength that is outside of themselves, even supernatural strength. And and when pastors forget that, they become a threat to the church and they become a threat to themselves. The literal rendering of this verse is be being strengthened or be becoming strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is to be an ongoing reality, which necessarily means it must be an ongoing pursuit. This is something that the gospel minister must chase after to be becoming strong and stronger in the grace that is in Christ. In effect, in effect, Paul was telling young Timothy 
that the task assigned to him to be the apostle's representative in the Ephesian church, that that task was too much for him. Paul was saying, in effect, your strength is too small for this work. You need help, Timothy. Now, he was not saying that there was some essential defect in Timothy that made him less than what he needed to be. He wasn't saying that Timothy was a bad fit for this assignment. No. In the earlier verses of this epistle, Paul has referred to Timothy's gift for ministry, which had been received from the Lord and which had been acknowledged and commemorated by the laying on of the apostles' hands. A little later, Pastor Nail and I will lay hands on Merle. And we are doing that to recognize a gift from the Lord that has been given to him, the gift of ministry. Timothy had that. Perhaps you'll recall how Paul commended Timothy to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul said, I, I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. He could commend Timothy. Though he was young, he was a proven and a faithful man. So the problem was not systemic to Timothy. It was not that Timothy was simply a weak man, not up to the task. Now the problem, the problem is that no amount of giftedness, no amount of training, no amount of ministerial experience can overcome the need which occurs when the demands of ministry clash with the minister's own remaining sin and remaining weakness and remaining selfishness. Or when the demands for ministry clash with the minister's inability to penetrate the hearts of people with the word that they are most desperately need to hear. The word therefore in our text, you therefore, my son, that word looks backward to certain responsibilities in certain situations that Paul has already spoken to in chapter 1. The need for strengthening arose out of the situation and out of the difficulties and responsibilities before him. And when you read the rest of the epistle, you understand that that need for strengthening is even greater. I counted some 24 directives given to Timothy in this one epistle, not counting 1 Timothy. 24 directives. And Merle... Most of these directives will apply to you. 
Now, in order for us to get a feel for the force of the text, I want to glance at three of these major directives. And Merle, I'm going to apply these to you because this is your ordination. These responsibilities belong to every man in the gospel ministry. Three, first, Merle, you must be preeminently a gospel man. You must be a gospel man. Now, what I mean by that is that you must be so thoroughly persuaded that the gospel of Christ alone is sufficient for the needs of human beings, whoever they are, wherever they are, that you must be ready with the gospel to speak that gospel to whomever you have the opportunity, whether it is an unconverted man in the workplace or an aged saint on the brink of glory in the house of God. What they need most is the gospel, and you must be ready. You must be persuaded and ready to give them the gospel. It was dangerous to be a gospel man in first century Ephesus. There have been riots in Ephesus because of the gospel. And even though the Apostle Paul had blazed the trail before Timothy, Timothy would yet confront a great deal of ignorance and a great deal of prejudice on the part of Jews and Gentiles alike against the gospel. Note a couple of Paul's challenges to Timothy in this regard. If you look back at chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, Therefore I remind you to stir up the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share with me in the sufferings for the gospel according to the power of God. Timothy apparently was a reticent young man, shy, perhaps hanging back a little bit. Paul said, son, it's time to get strong. It's time to be bold. It's time to stick your nose into the fight. Be prepared. Join with me in the sufferings for the gospel. In the last chapter of this epistle, in verse 5, he said again, Be watchful in all things. Endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Preach the gospel and be prepared to suffer for it. America has been, in many respects, a safe place to proclaim the gospel for its entire history. I I don't mean an easy place, but a safe place. That is changing. Just this past week, I, I learned that a dear pastor friend of mine 
had been called out in public, and I mean by a national periodical, followed by hateful phone calls and emails, even implied threats against his family, someone called and said, I'm praying it will go well for your wife, called her name, your children, because he had dared to apply the gospel to one particular segment of our culture. I'll leave it to you to figure out what segment of our culture that would have been. He did that in a sermon. Someone looking for that kind of thing found it, and he found his name on the Huffington Post, and he found himself named out in a blog as one of the most dangerous pastors in America. As never before, gospel ministers face threats. And they must be strengthened supernaturally in order to be faithful and courageous with the message that alone makes us Christian. There's one message that makes us Christian. It's not the Ten Commandments. It's not rules having to do with worship. It's the gospel of the incarnate God becoming flesh and living and dying in the place of sinners and rising again and being glorified at the right hand of the majesty on high and coming again. That's the message that makes us Christian. And that's the message, Merle, that you must be prepared in season and out of season to proclaim. As a non-vocational pastor, you will have perhaps exceptional opportunities, exceptional access to unbelievers. And yet there may be a danger for you, a danger to your career if you are bold with the gospel. But that is your calling, my brother. And may you receive strength from Christ to be wise and bold and effective for the gospel wherever the opportunities are provided, in the church, outside the church. Secondly, Merle, being set apart for pastoral ministry obliges you to be becoming more and more a man who is utterly mastered by the Bible. To be becoming more and more a man who is utterly mastered by the Bible. Now notice I didn't say a man who has mastered the Bible. There are no such men in this world. But a man who is mastered by the Bible. What what do I mean? I mean a man whose thoughts and attitudes and convictions and reactions and opinions and intuitions and actions and words are all processed through the grid of the Word of God. You must become more and more a man who doesn't have his own thoughts, who doesn't think in terms of the contemporary philosophical bent of his culture, but who thinks through the grid of the Bible. 
The fact that distinguishes Christianity from every other world religion and every other philosophy of life is the fact that the living God has spoken. We have the Word of God. The only God who is, the God who created the world, has been pleased to reveal himself and his will and his purposes in words that are suited to our finite manhood, creaturehood. God, the eternal God, has revealed himself in words, and we have those words And no endeavor is more crucial to the well-being of human souls than the endeavor to understand and apply the Word of God correctly. And that is the peculiar responsibility of pastors. Note a few of Paul's directives to Timothy in this regard. In chapter 1, in verse 13, Paul says, hold fast the pattern of sound words which you have heard from me in faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. That good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. The New Testament scriptures were just then being written, and Timothy received a great deal of the New Testament verbally from Paul, the primary author, not the exclusive, but primary author. And Paul said, those good things that you've received from me, you keep them, you guard them, you treasure them. In chapter 2, the verse immediately following our text says, and the things which you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these things to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. One of the high and lofty responsibilities of pastors is to teach a younger generation the things committed to us so that this good word and work will continue after we have gone. But particularly notice chapter 3, verses 13 through 17. Paul warns Timothy, and he warns us, But evil men and imposters will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, the Old Covenant, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. You will meet challenges, Merle, but you have an answer for every challenge. In the Word of God, you must know the Word of God. You must be being mastered by the Word of God. I doubt, very seriously, 
that any period of American church history has witnessed such a proliferation of words about Christianity, about God, about Christ, equal to the day in which we live. More words are being written, books, blogs, articles. More words are being spoken and made available through CDs and tape messages and sermon audio and live streaming sermons over the Internet. In many respects, this is good. But it's not good in every respect because not all the words are true. And God's people will have access to all these words. And some of these words are not reliable. They're untrue. They're untrue about God. They're untrue about the Bible. They're untrue about Christ. And those words are potentially dangerous. And one of the pastor's most pressing responsibilities is to know the Bible sufficiently not only to instruct God's people for their own eternal benefit, but to enable God's people to be discerning concerning the many words that come at them in the name of Christ. That will require special strength from God. Thirdly, Merle, The most challenging aspect of your labor as a pastor will not be becoming a gospel man or even being mastered by the Bible. The most challenging part of being a pastor will be shepherding people. Shepherding people. Trying to keep God's people away from spiritual dangers and trying to get them safely home to heaven. Don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Most church members are a real delight to pastor. Most of them are humble. They're struggling. They know they're weak. They know in many things they they fail. In many ways they stumble. And they, they want to be helped. They love to hear the gospel because it's a word of forgiveness. They love for their pastors to tell them about the Lord Jesus and his cross and his empty tomb. They're humble. And most of them are hungry. They hunger for Christ. They hunger for the Word of God. They hunger to improve in their own lives, in their hearts. They hunger to hear what their pastors have to say to them because they know it is peculiarly in the gathered church when the Word of God is being preached that Christ draws peculiarly near. What a privilege to pastor Christ's blood-bought sheep But sometimes, God's people, like sheep, wander into dangerous places, far from that single narrow path which alone leads to glory. 
Sometimes God's people become enamored with ideas and philosophies and doctrines and even preachers which are not faithful and are not helpful and may lead them away from the truth that is in Christ. Paul told Timothy to warn the people against becoming caught up in many words and fables. Sometimes, sometimes God's people are seduced by this present evil world. Some of the saddest words that Paul ever wrote, he wrote in this epistle, chapter 4, when he said in verse 9, Oh, Timothy, be diligent to come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present evil world. Demas, another of my sons in the ministry has left me. He's gone back into the world. Sometimes we have to try to convince God's people not to go chasing the ruinous idols of the world. It's painful. Sometimes church members fall into serious sins that threaten their lives and threaten their eternities, and they become so intoxicated by those sins that it's hard to convince them that those sins will destroy them. Sometimes God's people break their pastor's hearts. Paul speaks in this epistle about his first appearance before Caesar in this imprisonment, and he said, everyone in Asia forsook me. Everyone in the Roman church, all my companions, they all forsook me, but the Lord stood with me. Merle, at this point, more than any other, the minister becomes almost, almost an unbearable burden. There are two texts from this epistle that I implore you to be, to have riveted in your mind and heart. The first is found in chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Look, at these verses, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient. In humility, correcting those who are in opposition, if God, perhaps, will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. In my years of ministry, I have faced this kind of situation more times than I even want to remember. When it's pretty clear the great deceiver has got his hooks in some Christian and is drawing them away from Christ, and you want to save them. But what can you do? The only thing you can do is teach them. can't argue with them. You can't fuss at them. All you can do is humbly teach them and pray that God will grant them repentance. The other text, it's also here in chapter 2, is verse 10. 
Oh, I love this text. Paul said, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. That, that is a reminder to us, there are people who will be saved. We want to think that every member of the church is one of those people. Sometimes that proves not to be the case. But God has an elect people. He's appointed you to be an instrument to their salvation. You may not be able to save them all, but you will be used to God to save his people. Well, superficially, we've looked at three defining aspects of pastoral responsibility which become yours today, Merle. You must be a gospel man. You must be a man who's being mastered more and more by the Bible. And you must shepherd Christ's sheep. These responsibilities, Merle, are beyond you. You'll have to receive strength from outside of yourself or you'll fail. And that brings me to my last two, and I said it's going to be very brief. Remember, I said there'd be three, and the last two will be very brief. Two final observations. Number one, number two overall, all the strength that the gospel minister needs is in Jesus Christ. All the strength you need is in Christ. There are books that you can read that will help you but they won't make you strong. Only Christ can make you strong. Paul said, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. This is one of Paul's favorite expressions, in Christ Jesus. And that little expression declares the single most important truth in all the Bible. And that is that all the saving good that God does for sinners, all of it he does in and through his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. If you'd be saved, you have to go to Christ. If you'd be helped, you have to go to Christ. And the peculiar doctrine of our text is that moral, the special supernatural strengthening which you need, which Timothy would require to execute his responsibilities. It's all in Christ. It's right there. It's in Christ. But understand, Paul's purpose is not simply to announce that. His purpose is to compel Timothy and you to be going to Christ continually going, calling on Christ, asking Christ to fill you with spiritual power. That's why Paul wrote this as a command in the present tense. Be becoming strong. Timothy, be becoming strong. Well, Timothy couldn't make himself strong. But you see, he could go to Christ. He could call upon Christ because it's Christ who strengthens his servants for every good work. And Merle, here's the most exciting reality about the ministry. You're not in it alone. There is real supernatural communion between the Christ you preach 
the Christ you serve and your own soul. Real communion, passing strength from heaven to you by the Holy Spirit. We who preach, we who pastor, if not physically, at least spiritually, must be found on our faces before Christ over and over and over again, coming empty, confessing our emptiness, our weakness, asking him to make us strong. It doesn't happen by thinking. It only happens by going to Christ in faith. But when you go, when you ask, you will receive. And you will receive everything you need for every challenge of ministry. Final observation. The strengthening which comes from Christ comes graciously. The English Standard Version of our text reads, You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Grace, of course, means blessings you don't deserve. Undeserved blessing. The pastoral office brings elevated responsibilities, elevated expectations, and with it comes an elevated sense of personal failure and undeservedness. I can't imagine there is any true gospel minister Whoever closes the Lord's day without sensing he's failed on some level. And I'm not sure this is true of all pastors. I suspect it is. One of the most devastating notions entertained by pastors is that Christ's help and Christ's blessing comes freely and graciously to everyone except pastors. And because we're supposed to know more and be better, it's easy to think that I must deserve the blessings of Christ. They come freely to everyone but pastors. And somehow I have to earn his blessing. Praise God, that's not true. Christ is gracious to pastors. He's gracious to pastors. Merle, you're weak. You'll experience that as you never have before. But Christ offers you his strength as a gracious gift. You don't have to do anything to earn it. He'll give it to you if you'll go to his son. So be ever going to Christ. Go confessing your sin, confessing the dryness of your soul, confessing the smallness of your faith. Go and ask that he would make you strong. Go in the study when you're preparing. Go in the pulpit when you're preaching. Go in private conversations when you're counseling. In all times, 
be going to Christ pleading that he will give you sufficiency for your task. Make this, make this your constant ministerial practice. And if you do, you will be filled with spiritual power. Power to glorify Christ and power to do good to his church. You won't necessarily feel strong, but your words will be strong. And the impact of your ministry will be strong. And let me say to any of you who may be struggling with an overwhelming sense of sin or failure or helplessness, the answer for you is the same as it is for all of us. It's Christ. Christ will come to you. He'll meet you where you are. If you need to be converted, he'll convert you. If you need to be restored, he'll restore you. He'll forgive you. He'll cleanse you. He'll make you new. But you can't just think about him. You have to go to him in your heart. Let's pray. Dear Lord, Jesus, thank you for your church. Thank you you're still building your church in our day. And part of that building is to provide pastors and overseers, more than one in every church. Thank you that you are doing that today for this church. Thank you for loving this church enough to do that. Thank you for Merle. Thank you for Libby. Thank you for bringing them to this place. Now, Father, please help us all to acknowledge your hand, your presence, and our desperate need of you. And may this man be mightily used of Christ for the glory of his name and for the good of this church for decades to come. We worship and adore you. Amen. ask you to look in your bulletin. You should find a uh, responsive reading there. Um, we're going to begin by asking Merle a series of uh, questions and, and answers. Uh, and then I'm going to ask all of you who are here who are members to stand and to answer a couple of questions as we seek to uh, install him as a pastor among us. So, Brother Merle, facing the congregation. Do you reaffirm your faith in Jesus Christ as your own Lord and Savior? Do you believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the Word of God, totally trustworthy, fully inspired by the Holy Spirit, the supreme 
final and the only infallible rule of faith and practice. Do you sincerely believe that the confession of faith and covenant of this church contain the truth as taught in the Holy Scripture? Do you promise to submit to your fellow pastor as he submits to you? Have you been induced, as far as you know your own heart, to accept the office of elder from love of God and sincere desire to promote His glory in the gospel of His Son? Do you promise to be zealous and faithful in promoting the truths of the gospel and the purity and peace of the church, whatever persecution or opposition may arise to you on that account? Will you be faithful and diligent in the exercise of all your duties as elder, whether personal or relative, private or public? And will you endeavor by the grace of God to adorn the profession of the gospel in your manner of life and to walk with exemplary piety before this congregation? And are you now willing to take personal responsibility in the life of this congregation? as an elder to oversee the ministry and resources of the church and to devote yourself to prayer, the ministry of the word, and the shepherding of God's flock, relying upon the grace of God in such a way that Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church and the entire church of Jesus Christ will be blessed. If you are a member here, would you please stand and look on the back. And two questions for you towards... Brother Merle, do you, the members of Mount Hermon Missionary Baptist Church, acknowledge and publicly receive this man as an elder, as a gift of Christ to this church? Will you love him and pray for him and his ministry and work together with him humbly and cheerfully that by the grace of God you may accomplish the mission of the church giving him all due honor and support in his leadership to which the Lord has called him to the glory and honor of God. You may be seated. 